everybody. Good to be with you again as we continue our series uh, in the book of Revelation or the, the Apocalypse of John the Apostle. Uh, a series we've called The Great Awakening because that's what we believe Revelation is all about, uh, looking at a larger picture. Uh, in, his, in his book, After Virtue, Scottish philosopher Alasdair McIntyre said, I, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part? Well, last week I mentioned that one of the, the classic forms of Greek poetry was the epic. The poet Homer was, the, was the, the perfecter of this style in the ancient world. And within Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, characters like Odysseus and Agamemnon and Hero, they all found their understanding of themselves because of the largest, largest story that they found themselves in. They, they came across chaos creatures representing evil and the, the lures of vice, the cyclops and the sirens. And uh, they understood what they should do, whether they should fight, how they should fight, um, how they found courage to go on, moral decisions. They all, they all came from an understanding of the much larger story that they found themselves in, including gods and, and spiritual forces. Well, Revelation is a massive epic poem given to the Apostle John near the end of the first century. It was meant to encourage the, the early church that they are in a much larger story than they can simply see. The political powers, the pressures that, that, that they saw around them would not last. And today, it's meant to help us understand what, what story we find ourselves in. It's a pulling back of the curtain on the universe in poetic fashion to enliven our imagination to, to a larger story. And the great hero of this epic is Jesus the Christ, and all those who follow him share in his victory. The great enemy of this epic and of humanity is the devil, the dragon, the Satan, who has animated the beast in Revelation, who moves throughout the world causing fear and submission to, to all those who do not recognize the larger epic that they are in. And so today we see another minion of the dragon, not a small yellow minion with one eye and a funny cap, but a woman. And she has, has colorful clothes and a, and a colorful name, and her job is to blind the world from the epic and persuade the world to live only for today. She is another personification of the evil at work in the world and what it offers. And today we will see where all of that, all of what she offers, all of where that leads to. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 17 and 18, but let's start by reading chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who, did, who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of, se of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the, the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. 
This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Guys, in the, in the ancient world, cities and nations were often uh, thought of or referred to as women. The, the spirits or gods of cities were often goddesses like Athena or, of Athens or Aroma of Rome. Uh, wisdom and virtue itself was personified as, as a woman in Proverbs 1, 20 and 21. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And the seduction that drew one away from wisdom was often represented as a prostitute or a promiscuous woman. So beauty and virtue drawing us toward a good, more beautiful story and lust and seduction toward a smaller, limited story. Well, in Revelation 17, 1, John sees a woman, and, it, and it's not the first time he's seen a woman in Revelation. He saw a woman in chapter 12, you might remember. But she was clothed in the sun with a crown of 12 stars. In, in 12, verse 5, it says she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Well, that woman seems to, as we looked at, represented Israel or the, the possibly Mary or the church. But John sees another woman, a very different woman. As New Testament scholar Craig Keener says, she's dressed to kill. She has a few uh, colorful titles that tell us that this is the opposite of the woman in chapter 12. She's like an anti-woman of the one in 12. She's not interested in seeing growth or life or light. She's called uh, by the angel a prostitute. And not only a prostitute, but the great prostitute. Fortunately, for much of this imagery, we do not need to guess. In fact, the, the angel who shows the imagery to John actually unpacks it for him. He says, the woman is Babylon in, chapter, in verse 5 of 17. On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Now, this is important in unpacking everything we're going to look at today. This, this tattoo on her forehead tells us that she is not the end, that from her come others who promote abominations. Babylon-like characteristics and forces in the world. Well, what are those? Well, we've discovered throughout Revelation that Babylon is a representation of all kingdoms, all worldviews and ideologies that defy and fight against the creator and are anti-Christ in that, they, that what they promote leads to death rather than life. So here we see the true face or the true faces of a lesser story, not an epic. It's a loud story. It's a prideful, boasting story, but it's a small story. And, and the prostitute is the promoter of this story. And we see this through a few images. She's seated on seven hills, it says in verse 9. She sits on many waters, it says in verse 15. She's seated on a beast. Now, the seven hills is pretty easy to interpret. Rome was known as the city of seven hills. And so seven hills represented the empire the Roman Empire as well. Um, it was known all over the world in the first century would have understood seven hills to mean Rome. But secondly, she's seated on the waters. All this imagery is kind of overlapping. Verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and language. So the influence of this woman is not limited to Rome. It's all over the world. The waters tell us that she has a global influence. And... 
As we see throughout these two texts, she's seated on the beast. And the beast is not new to us if you've been walking through this series. In Revelation, the beast is the incarnation of the devil's power and influence in the world. It's ugly. It's not, it's not nice to look at. Um, it's not an actual beast. It's poetry, but it's very beast-like with lies and threats and real influence, using and manipulating power all for the purpose of warring against Jesus and his people. It's a visual that's meant to help us realize that evil is alive and well in the world, and it's beastly. Uh, there's an intertwining of heads and kings and horns, all representing powers coming and going, all finding sustenance and, and moving while attached to the beast. And here in verses 10 to 12, it says, There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for an hour together with the beast. Again, there's been a lot of math done and different heads of the beast associated with different kings, all possibly uh, Roman or leaders of different nations. And there's really no strong consensus on who they're all talking about. It could also be that 10 kings is really about completeness. Kings will have their time. They will come and go. They will buy into and intertwine with the ideologies that are, that are dangerous and counter to the way of the lamb. They, they represent the totality of the powers of all nations on the earth, which are carried on the back of the beast. And this beast looks unstoppable. But we'll see here that there is a, there's limited life for this lesser story, this, this beast. So picture it if you can. John, John himself had a hard time describing it, so we'll try to imagine it anyway. A woman on a giant beast with seven heads, ten horns representing kings and powers, coming and going, growing and shrinking, having their time but then fading, and they're causing fear, and they're all mingling together and, and moving toward what it says in, in verses 8 and 11. They're, they're moving towards their own destruction. That is their telos their final destination. See, they think they're warring against a lamb, so there should be no problem, but they forgot who this lamb is. He's actually a lion. They come with what they think is eternal power that they're going to leave their eternal mark. But four times throughout these two chapters, it mentions that they only have power for an hour and they're destroyed quickly. But compare that to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who was and is and is to come. And for his kingdom, as Isaiah says, there will be no end. Compare these kings who cause havoc for a time to the wonderful counselor, the mighty God of Isaiah chapter 9. Everlasting father, prince of peace, whose government and, and peace has no end. Who with his life, death, and resurrection has established a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Isaiah 9, 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, not for an hour, forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this from this time forth and forevermore. Just the decision of God will make this a reality. But here we see a beast made up of kings and powers who have placed their trust in the beast. And they're, they're drawn by the lures of the woman intertwining with the beast so you can't tell them apart. They're drunk with ideas of power and vengeance for anyone who would say that they are not king of kings and lord of lords. And they're motivated by the promises of the woman that all they need is what she offers. And so it says in verse 13 that, that they're of one mind, they have one purpose, and they hand over all their power and authority to the beast because the beast promises to give them what they want. 
And I love the imagery here of this, this horrible beast with all these heads running towards the lamb and making war, the evil seductress dripping lies, laughing as they approach, all, of, of all things, they're approaching a lamb. And what we see is that the beast and the lies of her sitting on the beast and the kings, they believe they are an unstoppable force. All those who look at them believe they are an, un, they are an unstoppable force, but they are about to meet an immovable object. And with no lying, no screaming, no yelling out threats, the lamb overcomes them simply because of who he is. He doesn't have to match threat to threat, blow to blow. Verse 14 in chapter 17 says, they'll make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. Why? Because he's, king of, he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. That's it. <laughs> all that buildup, all, all the threats, all the promises of the beast and, and his lady, and it comes to an end in a moment. When I was in high school, I remember a, a fight in the schoolyard. And it was between a friend of mine and a very obnoxious bully. And for quite some time, this, this bully had been picking on my friend, who was a smaller guy. Every day, he threatened my friend. Um, he told everyone in the school how he was going to beat up my friend. Until one day, my friend, who was smaller, <laughs> and, and surely by all measurements, the weaker one, he said, okay, I'll meet you after school. And win or lose, you leave me alone after this. Well, by the end of the day, the entire school knew and they, they packed out the smoke pit and, and waiting for this standoff. And as, as this guy waited for my friend, there was a big crowd around him and he's in the middle of the crowd and he's doing, telling about how he's going to destroy my friend and beat him to a pulp. He's doing roundhouses and people cheering and laughing. And in the middle of his boasting, the middle of his evil grin, my friend came running out of a side door, tackled him, quickly wrestled him to the ground until he called for mercy. And it was, an, it was over an instant after all this boasting. All the boasting stopped, the laughter, the threats, they all ceased. He was all threats and promises of defeat, and he hardly showed up because he expected that his bravado would be enough. He expected to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with my small, harmless-looking buddy who took him out at the legs. <laughs> this is the end of the beast and, 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 and all the promises of the beast, all the promises of, of the prostitute of Babylon. You can be as loud and threatening as you'd like, beast, as luring as you'd like, prostitute of Babylon, but you are a promoter of finite glory and power. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, and it will take nothing for him to take you out in a breath. He's the image of the invisible God, Paul writes in Colossians 1. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Beast, you should have read up on your opponent. You are so out of your weight class when you came up against the lamb. And so the beast is taken out. The power of the lamb is displayed. And then we see the self-destruction of the lesser story. When evil doesn't get what it wants, when the promises of power and prestige are gone, when the political power does not give what it promised, evil turns on itself. In verses 16 and 17 of chapter 17, it says, the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. This is all symbolic, all poetry. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Guys, this is what happens to a world with no compass, with no foundation. 
They're all in, moving in the direction of the beast until things do not turn out the way that they were promised. And then they turn their rage on each other and devour. And with, with different heads emerging and falling away, allegiances change all the time. Evil is self-destructive. And the reason is simple. When we look at chapter 18, we see that everything that they put their hope is go- in is gone. Instead of living in an epic, they lived in a tragedy and they are not happy about it. In chapter 18, we see the fallout from the destruction of Babylon, the promoter of evil, the promises uh, that were offered. After this, I saw another angel, it says in verse 1 of 18, coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright by his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. But she's seen for the lifeless, empty liar that she was. And with the fall of Babylon, all those who who built their existence and purpose upon their relationship with her, everything comes undone. All those who placed their trust in her, metaphorically in verse 3, it says slept with her, built a relationship with her, find that they have invested in a tragedy. This is what the unveiling of Revelation is meant to warn you and I about. That is what the gospel has hinted at all along. That's what the resurrection of Christ proclaims and solidifies. Live in the epic we have been invited into. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 to 20, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's also the lesson of the wise builder in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Guys, as the the hymn puts it, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. That's the, the emphasis, the emphasis of this chapter in Revelation. Be wise. What story do you find yourself a part of? How does that inform the the discipleship in our lives, the way we invest ourselves in? What do we think is important? Those Those who are faithful have a future in the Lamb, but the lesser story will come to an end. There's an end to the lesser story. Earthly power with all its promises will end. Well, with the fall of Babylon, we see first an end to political power in verses 9 to 10. Kings of the earth who had completely bought into the promises and pleasures of the beast, those who demanded their subjects to refer to them as king of kings and lord of lords, they see the power that they trusted in disappeared in an hour, it says in verse 10. And with the fall of Babylon, we also see an end to economic power in verses 11 to 14. Those who built their lives on the purpose of business and business, whether it be at the expense of the environment or people, is done with the fall of Babylon. And and verse 14 implies that the economy is built on the backs of slaves and human lives. There's a a doing away with inequity. All the the stories that they build on what and, and what they could accumulate by applying the system of Babylon are ruined and undone. 
In verses 15 to 17, it says, the merchants of of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city, Babylon, that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all who trade is on the sea stood far off. The long reach of Babylon's political power and economic power is done. Wealth and power accumulated now means nothing. And this is important. And what we'll see here in the middle of this, the church, followers of the Lamb are literally called out. A voice from heaven we can assume is the Lamb. Jesus saying in verse 4, come out of her, my people. Step out of this lesser story. The time for all that we find important in our everyday life to be challenged is here. The great city, whatever its name throughout history, will not last. So do not overinvest in it. Verses 21 to 24, we're told that entertainment is done, economy is done, power is done. There's no need for it anymore. Food's not being produced. Lights are out. We'll see in the next few chapters that the light of Jesus will light up new creation. No more weddings. It all comes to an end. Everything we are told to build our lives around and accomplish is no longer important. Well, does that mean in our lives we don't bother with that stuff? No, that that would be a, a tough argument. Scripture speaks on all these issues in positive light. But what the the real issue is in verse 23 is the deception and sorcery of Babylon that says these are all there is to live for. There's no epic imagination. The, the, The message is deception, and it deforms the way that we think about the world the way we think about ourselves and others. It, it shrinks our story to, to just the day-to-day, not just, not just its gains, but also its fears, the imbalances and the pressures, the anxieties of the day. But the unveiling of Revelation is to, is to declare that our anxieties and fears, our concerns, which are also weapons of the beast, when they come face-to-face with the lamb, the lamb will conquer them as well, for he's Lord of lords and he's King of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. So today I want to invite you into a better story, a larger story than your economic problems because they will not last, a larger story than your anxieties and political concerns, pandemic concerns, they will not last. Jesus says, come out of her, my people. The the telos or the, the ending point of the harlot and the beast is to be thrown down. The telos of loves and pursuits that follow them follow the same route. The continued call of revelation is to come out. Do not be deceived. Do not be conned. She says, you want happiness? Pursue money. You want happiness? Pursue sexual promiscuity. Warp the gifts that God has given you. The voice from heaven says, don't be fooled. Your citizenship is not part of the city that's heading towards destruction, but the eternal city where God's light illuminates a grander story. So the question today is, what story do you find yourself in? Because the story you find yourself in will define how, what you pursue. It will define what you love. It will define how you love and how you invest your life. Come out, my people. Come out of the lesser story into a grand, epic story that God invites you into. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder of revelation that what we perceive in front of us is not the whole story, that there is a much larger story 
going on. Thank you for the, the powerful imagery, especially in today's uh, chapters, um, that, that try to do their, their best, and, and even John had a problem with it, but to, that, to try to do their best to enliven our imagination to the beauty of your story and the darkness of the story that the world tries to draw us into. And God, for some of us, that maybe the message we need to hear is, the, is from the voice of heaven saying, come out, come out from her, my people. Do not overinvest. Do not nail yourself firmly to, to the patterns and the desires of the world. Your story is so much bigger and so much more beautiful. So for myself, Father, for, for anyone uh, listening today where, who has found themselves being drawn in, um, camping out here and, and, and losing the, the vision of the larger story you've invited us into. We, we repent and we pray that you would count, comfort us and counsel us and, and open our hearts and minds to the beautiful story you've invited us into, the eternal story you've invited us into, a beautiful story that is made clear by the victory of the cross, your life, death, and resurrection. Amen. Church, I love you. I miss you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may he give you his eternal epic peace. God bless you.